Hi again, everybody. Welcome into the Black and Blue Report podcast. Happy NFL Draft Week, everyone. We are right about there as we come to you on this Wednesday from Studio B at the Oscar Sports Performance Center. Uh, there is a buzz around the building. Obviously, football operations has got their thing and on lockdown, but uh, all those of us who are excited just about the draft are covering it or getting ready for coverage for you. It's busy, busy, busy. Um, this, of course, coming off of a busy week last week for the basketball side in the New Orleans Pelicans. But all eyes on the draft, which uh, obviously will take us through the end of the week. And uh, it's exciting, even with the Saints not having perhaps um, the uh, the sexiest uh, situation. Uh, obviously, that's compared to the last couple of years, but you never, ever know. Um, and certainly, I think there's going to be some drama at the top, right at the start of the NFL draft. That'll have a trickle-down effect and so on and so on. We needed some help today, and we got it in a big way. Our guest here on this Wednesday is Ross Tucker, former NFL player and now broadcaster and writer of all things NFL, especially the draft, and he has taken some time out of his very busy schedule for us today. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ross Tucker NFL. You can find him on Sirius XM uh, NFL Radio. Obviously, during the season, he is an analyst for Westwood One, and then he hosts about four or five different podcasts as well, and all of them are geared toward uh, different, I guess, sets of fans, whether it be those who love to put a little action on the game, those that love to play fantasy football, and then, obviously, the uh, straight and narrow, right down the middle, the nuts and bolts stuff at the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. So he's able to share today uh, his thoughts just hours now in front of the draft, what will happen at the top. Arizona, Kyler Murray, what happens with those big defensive players coming down the pipe and how will they factor into the top 10? And then also, what's going on with the Saints? What might they be looking at and how does that translate with regard to the draft pool itself? So a lot to cover. We'll do so in a short amount of time. We appreciate you obviously coming on for a listen today and I hope that you'll gain something from our visit here in just a moment with Ross Tucker. This is the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. Here's Sean Kelly. All right, so as we mentioned, making his Black and Blue Report podcast debut is Ross Tucker. We've wanted to have him on for a a long, long time. Um, He's got an Alex Anzalone story for us. We'll save that for a little bit. But first of all, Ross, welcome. Great to have you, especially here draft week. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. I got a chance to come down to the Superdome several times last year. In fact, I think the Saints were 3-0 and when I came down. I, I came down for Westwood 1 for the Redskins game where Drew broke the all-time record, which was a great environment to be a part of. And I was on the sideline for that. Then I was in the booth when they beat the Falcons on Thanksgiving. And then back on the sideline again uh, for the NFC divisional round matchup against the Eagles. So I made three trips uh, down to the Big Easy, and the, the Saints were three and zero on my trips down there. And so for this coming fall, are your weekends free? Can they match up? Can you make sure you're here for every Saints home game this fall? That that's going to be tough. So you might just want to keep me for the playoffs or something, because I'm pretty sure the Saints are going again. Yeah, they they would like to after a 13 win season and the way it all ended. Ross, when you were playing, did you ever make an appearance in New Orleans as a player? Yeah, you know what? Um, actually, just one time, and I was a rookie and I was inactive. So it was 2001. I was with the Washington Redskins. And I didn't dress for the game. 
Uh, we ended up coming from behind and winning that one. I just remember it being a really weird locker room after the game because we won. I think it was even a night game. might have been a, a night game on ESPN. We won, and I got in the locker room, and there was still a lot of tension, even though we won, between the head coach, Marty Schottenheimer, the coaching staff, and the owner, Daniel Snyder. I think, you know, the, the Redskins coaching staff has sort of started to catch wind that – Snyder was going after Steve Spurrier. And so even though we started out 0-5 and ended up finishing the year 8-8 and and we won that night, I think Schottenheimer and his coaches got wind that Snyder was pursuing Steve Spurrier, and so he's going to fire Marty Schottenheimer after just one year. A dramatic visit then to New Orleans for you and the Skins. Wow, that's yeah, great I, remember, I, I just think remember how loud it was and how much of a party atmosphere it was, and then just sort of the uh, the awkward tension in the locker room after the game. What an interesting visit there. Ross Tucker's with us. He's taking a break from the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, his duties on Sirius XM Radio with the NFL Channel, uh, and a whole lot more to talk NFL Draft. So probably I don't want to waste any more of your time, Ross. Let's get into the draft. Let's dig in a little bit, and I may as well start from the start. Is Kyler Murray going to Arizona to start off this year's NFL Draft? Yeah, I mean, I'd be pretty surprised if he's not at this point. I mean, you think about some of the recent quotes from Josh Rosen saying, you know, it, it is what it is and it's annoying, but, you know, the higher-ups have a decision to make. I just can't imagine, Sean, that you would leave your franchise quarterback in a lurch like that if he was really the guy that you believed in. I mean, I, I guess you could say it's a big game of poker and, Maybe they're trying to get a team or two to trade up to number one. I don't really know why feigning interest in Kyler Murray would make that happen, though, right? I mean, if a team really wants Kyler Murray, they're going to assume that if you want him, you're taking him. And if you don't want him, then you're not taking him. So I, I don't know how that drums up more business at number one for them, quite frankly. And number two, is it even worth it based on the message that you've sent to your presumptive starting quarterback in Josh Rosen. So I, at this point, would be shocked if they didn't take a quarterback and it wasn't Kyler Murray. That would really surprise me because if that's the case, man, they handled it very strangely with the guy that would then be their quarterback of the present and future in Josh Rosen. But at the same time, is there any kind of a blueprint that we can lean on here? I mean, we're talking about a franchise that goes back-to-back years going after a franchise quote-unquote quarterback? No, there's not a blueprint. I mean, I don't, I don't think we've ever seen anything like it. Um, and, and I think the stats bear that out. And the thing I think is interesting about it is it's not just drafting Kyler Murray instead of Josh Rosen. I mean, let's just say things go well and they get a second-round pick for Josh Rosen. I think that's about as much as they'll get at mm-hmm. this point might even not be until a third, but let's say they get a second-round pick for Josh Rosen. What you're you're really doing is you're trading Josh Rosen and the right to draft Nick Bosa or Quinnen Williams for Kyler Murray in a second-round pick. I mean, you must think that Kyler Murray is significantly better than Josh Rosen to do this because there's the opportunity cost involved of not being able to draft Bosa or Quinnen Williams 
a difference maker on the defensive side of the ball. You're giving that up by by drafting Kyler Murray and trading Josh Rosen. But I didn't even think about that angle. That's <laughs> that's a pretty smart way to look at it. Um, and that's a heavy price to pay for any franchise, let alone one that's trying to resurrect themselves. Well, they must have. They must really think number one that Kyler Murray is the guy, and they must really think number two that Josh Rosen isn't. I mean, there's really no other explanation than those two things in my mind when you look at what we think the Arizona Cardinals are going to end up doing. Strange. It really is. And it's certainly something to play out right at the start of this whole thing. Um, where do we go from there, Ross? I mean, I, I hear one one expert say defensive heavy draft. Uh, you know, obviously uh, there's a, a host of wide receivers that are gathering different opinions about them. What, how does this start to fall out round one for you? Well, and I would say number one, by far the most interesting aspect of the draft in my mind, just to get back to the prior conversation, will be who trades for Josh Rosen and what they end up giving up for him. Because ah. that's sort of going to have an impact on what the Giants, Dolphins, Redskins do when they come up in the first round. Do they take a, a Haskins or a Daniel Jones or a Drew Locke, or do they instead trade a second-round pick for Josh Rosen? I mean, Josh Rosen becomes you know, one of the most interesting figures in back-to-back drafts, which is pretty hard to pull off. I do think, though, that after the Cardinals take Kyler Murray number one to your question, I think it's all defense and all defense probably for the next four or five picks. I really do. I mean, I think it's Ed Oliver and Nick Bosa and Quinnen Williams and Josh Allen in some order in the next four picks, and then maybe the next level of intrigue comes with the New York Giants. But I think after what we see happen with Kyler Murray, I think you're getting four defensive players at that point wow that'd be san francisco the jets the raiders the bucks and then as you mentioned the the giants there at six um are we only talking about it being a defensive draft because of the 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 power of those players at the top or uh, ross are we talking about defense in multiple rounds here this year i think it's multiple rounds because i think there are some really good safeties and corners you can get in the second round more than likely there is depth along the defensive line I would say you know just from the people I spoke to the biggest drop-off is really at linebacker you know after Devin White from LSU and Devin Bush the next guys might not go till third or fourth round Mm. so that's really where the biggest drop is is there's two guys that are considered no-brainers and difference makers and then after that, there's a, there's a pretty precipitous drop where you won't see the next linebacker go off the board until late Friday night probably. So um, yeah, I guess depending on your perspective, that's either good or bad. But that's the one position where there doesn't appear to be a whole lot of depth. I'm transitioning a little bit here toward the Saints with this, but this is still kind of in general, Ross. What, what can you tell us about – the depth of the draft at offensive line and maybe interior defensive line? I like it at both spots. I really do. I mean, you look at the offensive line, and there's a lot of guys, especially interior guys, that you can get later on in the draft, I think. You know, there might not be the great top-end tackles going in the top five picks, 
that we're used to, but I'd be shocked if Dillard uh, from Washington State, Jonah Williams, as well as Jawan Taylor, don't go in the first 20 picks or so. But then, you know, there ends up being a bunch of guys like Max Sharping, Cody Ford. Uh, there's like four guys from Wisconsin. It's unbelievable that will get drafted probably in the middle rounds. Dalton Reisner, you know, Nate Herbig, Elston Jenkins from Mississippi State, Connor McGovern. A lot of people really like Chris Lindstrom from Boston College, Bo Benshaw from Wisconsin. So there's pretty good depth along the offensive line of guys I think end up going in the first few rounds. And then interior defensive line, you know, after Quinn and Williams and Ed Oliver, you still have the two Clemson kids, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence. You have Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State, who's got the off-field issue and the torn ACL. But still names like Draymond Jones from Ohio State, Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame. Even a guy I saw in person I thought was pretty impressive, Gerald Willis from Miami, could go later on in the draft. I saw him in person, too. That's a great name to bring up. I agree. I agree. Um, if, if we're going to sit here and say, Ross, that Marcus Davenport, you could almost consider that to be the first-round pick of the New Orleans Saints this year. Obviously, they drafted him last year, but they used the first-round pick. Beyond that, um, the fact that the Saints don't pick until 62, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of heavy on the sixth and seventh round. Share with me what you think the Saints might be looking at, what could be around for them if nothing changes. Right. So if nothing changes, I think the Saints are probably going to look for the positions you just mentioned as much as any other, you know, interior O-line as well as defensive line, interior defensive line. You, you've got the injury up front uh, that was a bad one, the Rankins last year. And so I, I know that they want to make sure, even though they signed Malcolm Brown, they want to make sure they've got depth at defensive tackle. And Mario Edwards, I thought, was a pretty good signing as well. And then in the offensive line, I know they signed Nick Easton, but they still want to make sure that that's not a position, interior line, that ends up costing them if somebody suffers an injury. You, know, you almost have to look at it like your next tackle and your next interior lineman, especially with how healthy the Saints offensive line was for the most part last year. I know Teron Armstead got banged up a little bit, but you have to almost expect guys to get hurt and know that your sixth and seventh offensive linemen are going to end up starting some games. I'm not sure the Saints are thrilled with where they are with their seventh and eighth uh, and offensive linemen right now, sixth, seventh, eighth offensive linemen. Maybe they are. Maybe they like those guys. You know, guys like Ola and Cameron Tom and more than I know, but Will Claps another one. But I, I just know that's a position where you don't want to come up short. Yeah, good point. And they've, they've had a history here the last couple of years of having a real solid front there, in, uh, in, you know, working with Drew Brees. So uh, with that being said, Ross, and maybe this is kind of the way to, to end this, everybody else is doing it this week. I may as well ask you too. What's the crazy that happens this week in the NFL draft? Can you, can you crystal ball a little bit? Are we, are we going to see heavy movement? Is there a team hiding out there that wants to be really aggressive and, and try and climb? What, what's your thought? Well, I mean, if it was that crazy and I said it, then it wouldn't really be that crazy, oh, right? True. Fair. <laughs> you know what I mean? If, if, I, if I could guess what it was, then it probably wouldn't be that crazy. I guess I would say uh, the interesting thing to me would be to keep an eye on the trade market for Frank Clark from the Seattle Seahawks, the franchise tag player. We saw D Ford move 
And it seems pretty clear when you read between the lines and see the quotes from John Schneider, the GM for the Seattle Seahawks, they want to move him. It's really interesting how these teams are now franchise tagging guys like D Ford and Clark that they really don't want to pay him that much money. They, they don't want him to take up that much cap space. So I think the team that trades for Frank Clark, I think that'll shake things up. And he's the type of guy, 13 sacks last year, another one in the playoff game against the Dallas Cowboys, four forced fumbles. I mean, you start to talk about the balance of power in either conference. Frank Clark is a guy that can be a difference maker in those January playoff games. It could be the difference between getting the Super Bowl or not. Yeah. You know, probably much more so than any of these guys that are going to get drafted this year. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I think you're right on the money with that. Absolutely. Uh, Alex Anzalone is a Pennsylvania guy. So are you. But I think it's even more localized than that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It, I'm, I'm so proud of him. You know, we are both from Wyoming, Pennsylvania. And, you know, it's a small town about an hour west of Philadelphia. I've known him since he was five years old and would go to uh, my football camp that I would go help out at. And so to see what he's become, I helped him through his recruiting process. Tenth grade, you know, he started at like wide receiver and cornerback at 6'1", 165. So I watched his body mature and what he ended up becoming and very proud of what he's done football as well as academically. And so for a while there, Sean, I was the most well-known person from my missing PA. Then we had a girl beat me out for a while. Uh, her name's Taylor Swift. I think she's probably going to have that, that title for a while. Yeah, I, I, I'll actually, I'm actually going to have dinner with her dad uh, down in Nashville because she's from why missing and now Alex is Alex is coming Alex is coming for me I don't think either one of us is going to catch Taylor Swift but Alex is coming for my title right now I guess of the uh the most well-known male from why missing PA well I think the three of you could get together to be a heck of a uh you know town celebration for a weekend you know around fourth of July or something you three could could make it the biggest thing going in the state it's funny that you say that because we only have our high school graduating class is only about 140, but we have an awesome Fourth of July parade every year. So I'm guessing Taylor's schedule is probably booked, but I, I think you could probably get Alex and I there. Is there a story I can go into the locker room uh, during minicamp and uh, bring up to Alex that would throw him off completely from his days oh, growing up? Oh, man. Um, uh, let me try to think of something, something good. Um, I would just tell him, um, uh, oh, I, I, you know, there's a, there's a fine line there between what I can say on the radio and what I can't say on the radio. And, but it, for him, he's such a, he really is a good kid. Just tell him, just tell him uh, Ross Tucker said thank you for one of the five best days of his life because I happened to be broadcasting when Alex led our high school to the only state championship in county history. So nobody else has ever done it. Alex was our best player. He had a great team. They won the, the state championship. I was broadcasting the game. And to this day, you know, when you're from a small town like that, I know everybody in Louisiana can appreciate that. It just means so much more. And so I came down the field after the game. I was hugging him. I was hugging the coaches. I was hugging everybody. So I would just say, hey, Ross Tucker wanted me to say thanks again for one of the best days of his life. I will do that. I think that will prompt a big smile and a pretty good story out of him as well. Good stuff. Good way to end it. Ross, will you come back and be with us again? 
Anytime. Just let me know. I'm happy to come on. I love coming on podcasts. You know I've got a bunch of them, so I'm a big podcast believer. Yeah, i got to have you rattle them off for me because I, I've got a list of like five things that you're doing here. I don't know how you're doing more, but if I were to add to the uh, Ross Tucker football podcast, your work on Sirius XM NFL Radio, uh, Westwood One game coverage, uh, what am I forgetting here that folks should know about? Well, I write a column every week for The Athletic, and I wrote this week about – how the only people that don't like the draft are current NFL players because they're seeing potentially them losing their jobs on the air, right? You're watching TV to see a show where they might be taking your replacement. And then I've got the Fantasy Feast podcast for fantasy football. And if you're into betting on the games, it's called the Even Money podcast. So all that stuff's over at RossTucker.com. I appreciate you letting me make sure the people are aware of that stuff. Absolutely. And on Twitter, at Ross Tucker. NFL. Ross, all the best to you. Enjoy it. Feast on it this week, and uh, maybe we shall recap here in the coming weeks. Sounds great, Sean. Anytime. You got it. And so that's a wrap, as they would say, and uh, all that's left to do is uh, sit back, buckle up, and get ready for the NFL draft. Our coverage, of course, will uh, be all weekend long at NewOrleansSaints.com and on your Saints mobile app. We'll be talking to, obviously, those selected by the New Orleans Saints. We'll have expert analysis as well. And John DeShazer will be front and center, our senior writer for NewOrleansSaints.com, as we make our way through Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Great stuff. Um, We'll have a recap for you, obviously, next week when it's all said and done. Daniel Salerson will be back, we think, for the Monday uh, Black and Blue Report. There's rumors of a jury situation. Um, He's on the right side of the, uh, I think, the uh, jury box. But uh, either Daniel or myself or one of us here will get us fired up for the start of next week. We'll look forward to that. I hope that we'll see you at some point over the weekend. And don't forget the big uh, Super Bowl going on this Saturday right here at the Osher Sports Performance Center. Details at NewOrleansSaints.com. Thanks again to Ross Tucker, and thank you as well. Until next time, I'm Sean Kelly. Happy NFL Draft, everyone. <laughs>